This is Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast hosted by me, Casey Smith. Now on the show this week, we've got part two of the interview with Andrew Canavan, CEO of Whitehaven Rugby League. Now, we kick off part two discussing how he first got involved with the club and how he turned the club's fortunes around after being in financial difficulty. Yeah, well, I was asked to uh, come and join the board during 120 then you know outside of our salary if you fall outside of our top 20 we can't be afford to spend 100,000 pound a year on, on back office stuff it's just just impossible yeah there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment you know league structures reduced monies uh, you, you can't re- you can't really Put concrete plans in uh, for the next few years, really, can you? No, we, we can't. We honestly cannot plan beyond next season at this moment in time. We can obviously we have two or three different potential plans in the background. We just end up wasting time. Yeah. We're trying to develop board when it's so much uncertainty. Yeah. And we're the only sport that has that much uncertainty, and it's it's to be honest, it is quite ridiculous. You know, looking to change structures at the end of the year, like in 2017 or 2018. And, Almost into the playoffs and the, and the change in the structures. It, that, that kind of thing cannot go on. Yeah. What we need we need to settle and whatever whatever's chosen. It's like we that's it for the next five years, next ten years. That has to be it. Whether it's right or wrong, whether it works or it doesn't, it has to. It has to be given time to work. But be, 
clubs have to know where they potentially are going to be. Don't get wrong, coming down from Super League into the Championship or potentially coming down from Super League 2 into this third third tier, that's all one, then going to be cast adrift. Well, that's up to that's up to you to, to manage that. Uh, same as coming out of the Premier League in football. But, you know, you not knowing which league you're going to be to start off with or, or not even knowing what, how much money you're going to be getting, like, we're expecting a 50% cut in our money. Now. We're talking a few tens of thousands of pounds is what we'll be getting from metal distribution next season. Yeah. I don't think that's a great deal of money to keep rugby league alive in this area at all. You know, this area is still it's clinging on, just but it's probably still more of a rugby league area than anywhere than any other sport. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the RFL should be coming here pumping hundreds of thousands of pounds in over other clubs. Other areas, I don't, I don't think that's all. I think it's got to be on the clubs to push their particular area. The same with London, same with Coventry, and whatnot. But I just don't think the rug should be pulled from underneath you when you, when you're really trying. Yeah. And I would hate to see any club go to the wall, but I would certainly hate to see any club on an outpost like go, go to the wall. The likes of Coventry, and they're, they're keeping rugby league or seventh vessel, but they're still keeping professional rugby league alive in the Midlands. Yeah. South Wales, right? Uh, Yeah, and halfway through the season, uh, there was a bit of upheaval uh, with several directors uh, departing. Uh, can you tell us, like, what actually happened? What, what, why did they decide to leave? There was there was a few disagreements amongst quite a few board members. It kind of divided the board into two. Uh, it become it, it didn't become a workable kind of environment, and quite a few directors left. I, I, I do believe that they expected the club to, to really struggle and have a way to come back in or an element of them will come back in but you know, we, we we had a merge meeting which put plans in place and we, we got we got through it obviously come on the other end with absolutely shining kind of colours really there. Uh, you know there was a there was a big divide on the board, a big difference of opinion on how things should be run and how to move forward. Potentially there's maybe too many people on the board, there's twelve people trying to get 12 people to agree and then on things in, in any walk of life it's going to be difficult but sports as well as being a business is an emotional business as well so emotions run high but thankfully obviously the club has came out of it okay and that's, that's the main that's the only it's the only issue isn't it? That, the, that the club comes out of it okay regardless of personal opinions on, on people who, who are running it or deep running or want to run it you know, as long as the, the club has came out as it well, you know, on the field it's done fantastically. Off the field it's doing better than it has the whole time I've been here. Uh, so generate more money, generate more interest. And I've got stadium sponsors that were standing there, uh, back to standing academy, albeit just a development academy, not passing tier three. But still, again, it's, it's it's getting them small steps and learn to walk before you run. But I mean, off the field the club's now doing better than everything. So. You can make about what you want. Yeah. Uh, so, 
couple of years ago, you know, there were there was reports that you wanted to redevelop the recreation ground. Um, yeah. Where are we at with that? Yeah, we're we're a bit stuck. We just leased the the ground. It's not, it's not a massive lease, but the people who we leased the ground off, they, you know, it turns out lease means we basically can't commercialise the ground whatsoever. So if we did build the stadium, and we couldn't build anything associated with it to help with the, with the initial building costs, nor to help with the, the running costs, we couldn't build any offices, uh, anything other than just being solely rugby related. Yeah. We can have some events on the pitch every now and again, but that really is like one-off things. Uh, we did look at building offices, look at uh, doing a, a restaurant and takeaway certain business out of here, and a storage facility and things like this, and we've just been turned down. Also, <clears throat> in terms of being able to get uh, like private and public finance, the term, our lease, uh, you know, our landlord will only give us a 25-year lease uh, at the time which again prevents us from being able to go out and borrow money against like the lease and things. Yeah. So it's proven really difficult and we are weighing up options of of where we go with this. And one option potentially is is to relocate from where we are. And this ground is costing us tens of thousands of pounds a year to maintain in its current state, which is not a very good state at all. And it's like it's costing us tens of tens of thousands of pounds just to, just to maintain the play here. Yeah. So if we if we if we're just putting stick and plaster over these big cracks to try and get us through the next season, the next season again, that's not sustainable. We have to as a board group, we have to sit down and really go through what what we're going to do about this. So there's quite a few options ongoing at the moment. Uh, we we had a fellow looking at a couple of things for us as well, so they've been they've been really helpful with us. And we'll, we'll just have to see where we go. It's kind of it's not it's not going to be a quick move and fix on this. I suppose we we look at now being able to generate the funds to develop the ground to a, a suitable standard is uh, is is no easy task to be fair. So plans are in the offing, many many uh, resolu- potential resolutions there. It's just we need to find out what is the best one for Whitehaven Rugby Football Club. Yeah, uh, and is that moving outside of Whitehaven then? If that comes, no, up? no, 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 no. None of the none of the sites were identified outside. Right. Of of the white and kind of town boundary. Uh, there's, there's a site very, very close to us that we're potentially looking at with open negotiations. And there's another couple of potential sites, but they're all inside the town boundary. Right. Our preference is to remain where we are. It's been our home since the club opened in 1948. So yeah. Our, actually, our preference is, is we want to stay. It's just whether or not we can. You know, we can't go out and borrow £6 million against a short lease and then not being able to do anything other than play rugby league for 13, 15 Saturdays, Sundays a year. Yeah. That we're not going to, we're not going to be able to pay £6 million back, £8 million back, whatever, with that. So, yeah, although we, our preference is to stay, you know, it, unless some of these obstacles are removed, then that's, that's not going to be possible. Yeah, is that not possible then? If Can you not renegotiate this deal, or is that something that they don't want to do? They don't want to do. Right. The fact that we can't commercialise the land, that's what that's what they're every time we went and said, Look, this is a business plan, we'll offering them offering percentages of the money we want to make and everything and I increase the lease that way and, and things, but no, nope, just just all we've got back is no that's not allowed. No, that's not allowed. Right. And but there's going to have to be a complete 
changing attitudes before before we can consider staying. The value, or we keep the value hot, but that, that means we'll never ever be able to, to be any higher than where we are now. Yeah. Not only is it costing us tens of thousands of pounds a year, or tens of tens of thousands of pounds a year to maintain, but there's no way then to, to increase the revenues. So, uh, a lot of clubs have, I've got these rhinos and players like that, you know, they've got a great asset there and they, they generate a lot of money from that ground which enables them to be at the top, the very top of the sport. Yeah. We, we, uh, if, if the restructuring goes, goes ahead and we can't do anything with this ground and we, and we have to remain, say we have to remain here, we're never going to be able to get into Sub League 2. Yeah. If that's, if that's, if that's the way the sport's going because the ground just doesn't, isn't ever going to meet the criteria required. You know, you, you, your plan at the moment is unsustainable because you can't do anything with your ground. So then, if you do find a, another a, another uh, stadium, uh, are those plans still, you know, valid and would work the same way as it would if it was at yeah, the recreation ground? It's sustainable, but it's only sustainable to the level we are. If we want to grow this club any further, then... I say the ground needs to improve or we need to move. So it's it's that plan we've got going forward. The the plan that's going every year we're here and we're not allowed to do anything to the ground. That plan to to grow the club is just getting put back a year and then another year and then another year. So we we need to really come up with something. I'm in discussions with the other and I'm showing them what we're trying to do. Uh, It's just a case of, of when these plans can come to fruition. Yeah. You've said uh, in the past, uh, you know, if you want to continue to be a strong team, you know, top end championship, whatnot, you need to get bigger crowds. So, you know, how how, how do you do that? Well, you can see the crowds have got this year have been slightly disappointing considering the quality of rugby that we've played. Uh, but there's obviously potentially many uh, mitigating factors behind that. People are still aren't really comfortable coming out. Uh, into loud crowds, large crowds. We do have a large percentage of our demographics out of the older generation as well. We've lost quite a lot of those over COVID, unfortunately, as well. Uh, so what we need to do is we need to get into a younger audience. We need to, to break out into, into the younger people coming into the crowds. And so that, I think we need to kind of essentially rebrand the club a little and, and make it a somewhere where people want to come for a few hours, not just turn up at 10 to 3, watch the game and go straight home, and even through that match day experience, you know, provide better things on, on offer to keep people uh, in, in the ground. Also, I think, obviously, getting your brand out there a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit better, getting the schools, coming into clubs, offering certain things out to, to, to increase the numbers coming through, uh, and you know, keep generating all the, the exciting news that we've got coming out of the club, and that, that just creates interest in the club. We keep winning on the pitch. We keep doing what we're doing off the field. Keep improving the club that way. And the crowd figures will go. It's, a, it's okay saying, oh, you can give out a few thousand free kicks tickets. They still have to bring a parents really anyway. And, um, or you can, you, can lower, you can lower the gate prices a bit. We lower the gate price in 2018. We lowered to £10 again against Bradford. There was about 1,600 people here. A good six, 700 were probably from Bradford, which is really good of them. When they turned up, and then, so we kept the ten pound offer for the next game against Eastleigh. And the ten was five hundred ninety-two, uh, and again the two oh, the smallest demographic of fans of our five hundred ninety-two were actually full-paying adults. 
it was either kids who were coming for free or the older concession type that, that made up the most large part of the, of the game. So even just dropping the, dropping, uh, dropping the cost to come in was proven then not, not to really have worked. Uh, no, we still need to, our match day income is our, our highest percentage of, of income. So we need, to, we need to improve the numbers that come through and when we improve the numbers that come through consistently we can then look at increasing the playing budget and again trying to aim as high as we can in, in that and hopefully get back to where we were in the mid-2000s where we were challenging for grand finals and Northern World Cup finals. Yeah, and with the restructure then, um, the two teams of ten, um, are you a fan of it? What do you make of the, those proposals? <laughs> On the TV deal, uh, Sky only seemed to do the playoffs for whatever reason. You know, I I agree with you. The the Championship and League One as well has been, you know, in some ways more entertaining than actual, you know, the Super League games. And we've got this, um, you know, reports of uh, the Championship being um, give, given a TV deal uh, for next season on Premier Sports. I think it is. Um, Although that said, it was on Monday nights. Um, what do you make of that? Um, personally, I'm totally against Monday night games in a part-time league. Yeah. You know, <laughs> on one hand, you've got the RFL saying, and, and right at the start, clubs need to improve in their, their total revenues. They need to improve crowd numbers, they need to improve total revenues. Uh, how you manage to do it on a Monday night, I really, when the game's on the show, I'll tell you, I really don't know. Uh, you know, people on a, on a wet, wet Monday night just getting in from work, they may as well just have their, have their tea and put the game on the telly instead of coming into the ground and spending money, enjoying themselves, meeting other people, 
uh, and whatnot. But again, are your sponsors going to want to come for it? Our sponsors, you know, our hospitality lounges and our other sponsors, they, they come down for the, the match day experience. They're there all day and some of them have a few drinks and it's it's, it's that kind of atmosphere. You're not going to generate that on a Monday night. No. And you also, hopefully, you're going ahead the, the, the games are looked at in terms of geography as well. Yeah. Yeah, you, you ask White Haven to go to London Broncos on a Monday night. We have part-time players who are going to need to take two days off for that. Yeah. So they they this really needs to talk about you've just seen like I'll go back, you've just seen Bradford, or Batley against Bradford, why didn't we have it on a Saturday afternoon, prime time football time. And you've just seen between hundred and peak at hundred and forty, I think I read for Bradford on Twitter, and a hundred thousand at White Haven, you'll get nowhere near those numbers on a on a Monday evening. Yeah. Uh, and I think Clashing and uh, with Coronation Street, Emmerdale Farm, all kinds of things. That's that's a much tougher ask. Yeah. And these things get watched by many, many millions and have been watched by many, many millions probably for years. So some people have grown up with it and have watched it all their lives every Monday Monday night. I think, I think one of them from like seven till nine is just from the soap. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't last time I watched it, but I mean uh difficult trying to get a big eyeball watching that on another subscription channel yeah but people already pay for Sky BT Sports Netflix things like this but we need as many broadcasting partners as we can and I get this and I don't want to uh, criticise the other for going out there because it's, it's what we've all wanted we need to go out there and get back I just think Monday nights personally I'm, I'm not a fan of it I don't think it'll help the championship I think it'll hinder it more than it'll help it Andrew Canavan there. Well, we've finally come to the end of the season and, you know, it's been a, a, a suppose, roller coaster season. It's gone quick, though. Well, no surprises given it started in March. But, I mean, there's been some highs, there's been some lows. But we might as well discuss the, the games that have just been. And we'll start off with the grand final. I was there, I was at Old Trafford, it was a great occasion, attendance was just over 45,000, so, you know, half empty. From where I was at, it looked full, I was in the Catalan's end, I think, or towards, near the Catalan's end anyway, Uh, which is where most of the empty seats were, so from my point of view, it, it looked like a full house. Um... You know, even though there was, it was sort of a scaled back grand final, given they didn't have a, a pre-match band and whatever, it was still a, a great occasion. My first grand final that I've been to, and I thought, you know, this is great sort of thing. I think, you know, definitely be going every single year now to the grand final. But, you know, we got the issue of, uh, should we, you know, swap the venue or whatever, because maybe it's too big or whatever. I don't think so. I think I read in the the match day programme that they did uh, that it's, it's with Old Trafford for the next three years at least. So uh, it's probably not going anywhere. Uh, the argument that we should reduce, the, you know, get, get a lower capacity stadium, I don't think so. Um, for, 
for this, you know, this year it's been in a unique year. Perhaps all the COVID issues maybe had a an had a influence, but I think more so the fact that uh, you know games have been called off randomly. Not much competence from the people running the game. I would say, you know, I touched on this last week. You can market your um, you you can market your product as a club as well as you want but if if it's not right beyond your uh club you know if it's not right at the top at the structure then you know you're flogging a dead arse obviously catalan dragons come from france so of course they're not going to bring as many fans as you know any other team that's not really their fault um but if if you do look at the attendances, you know, uh, across the years, it's been either seventy thousand or in in the sixty thousands. So it's not as if they're struggling to sell it. I think this is just a one-off year, and that from the attendance statistics I saw, then you know it is a one-off. But in terms of the game, I, I thought. Obviously, St. Helens won, and Catalan Dragons gave it their all. However, for me, watching it in in the stadium, I thought a lot of the decisions went against Catalan Dragons. In the first few minutes, there was a punt thrown by uh, Matotia. He didn't get anything for it. Uh, I, you know, I don't even think they took action. Why? He, you know, any other game, he was he was in the bin at least, and if not a red. Some are saying, well, you know, it's good that they let the game flow or whatever, and it's sort of more the old-fashioned style rugby league. But uh, throughout the whole season, we've seen you know, a trend where we clamping down more on these things. So you can't just change it because it's in a grand final. I don't understand, you know, you can't just get away with murder because it's in a grand final. So that would bizarre. And you might be saying, well, last week you said, I hope we don't see many Simbins. Well, I did say that, yeah. But... I was more referring to the high shots that we're having where you can't do anything about it, like the one last week when he slipped into it. So I was more referring to that. You know, if you're going about throwing punches, then I'm afraid, get get off the field. It's against the rules to do it, but obviously because it was a grand final, they were more lenient. So, you know, within the first few minutes, Saints could have been down a man, and what would have that done? For the score line, and why the hell was it not a penalty try for Fuad Yaha? Because everyone saw that he were going to score a try had he not been absolutely walloped by Tommy Makinson, which he were given a sim bin for. Well, he were given the sim bin, and they were given a penalty. So why they didn't judge that as a penalty try, I don't know. So, you know, uh, and even in the last few minutes, when Catalans were chasing the game and were in the ascendancy, you know, th- there was 
the referee gave an incorrect play of the ball for, for Sam Tompkins. And you just thought, well, where's he got that from? From where I was sat, it didn't look like an incorrect play of the ball. There, were, there didn't seem to be anything wrong with it. And from what I see on social media as well, a lot of people agree. So I think Catalan Dragons were massively hard done by. And to lose in that manner, I think, to be league leaders, to lose by two points and have so many decisions go against you, I think that's very, very unlucky. Having said that, St. Helens were, you know, they got more points throughout the game. Oh, yeah, and also the James Maloney uh, penalty. Apparently, um, was it either Kevin Nagaima or Regan Grace, or was it Lachlan Coote? I can't remember who it was, who played the ball back in the pitch, but apparently his foot was in touch as well, so... And how did the touch judge not spot that? So, for me, very hard done by. And for St. Helens, they not they won't give a stuff because it's a hat trick of wins for them. Three grand finals in a row. Teams struggled just to do one. Teams struggled just to get in the grand final. So to win three in a row is obviously not a fluke. But yeah. I thought it was going to be Catalan Dragons Day, to be honest. Especially when, I can't remember who the player was, but St. Helens were closing in on the Catalan's try line and they had a significant man advantage and all the Saints player had to do was pass it in to his inside where it would have been a walk-in for the other player. But Sam Tompkins timed his bloody run perfectly. He got in between the two players... And he snatched that ball when you thought he didn't have a chance. And you thought, oh my God, what a catch from Sam Tompkins there. You know, proving why he's a man of steel. And you thought, come on, this is the turning point. This is where Catalan Dragons are going to, you know, w- win the game. But it didn't turn out that way. But, you know, to be so close, I think, is an achievement anyway. I think they'll be back stronger next year as well. They've got to make sure that they come back just as strong, if not stronger. But they're going to be without James Maloney. I'm not too sure who they're signing in for next year. I think they're getting another Aussie in, I think, for James Maloney's replacement. Um, But, yeah, they'll miss him. But then St Helens have got quite a few significant players leaving as well although you know the young players coming through are more than ready to step into the shoes but it's just whether you know will they have that same dynamic probably they will because you know they're the best team going and they've got the best youth players and they're adding a few as well and also uh, St Helens women's won the women's grand final as well so St. Helens are just winning every everything in sight at the moment. And apparently the the attendance for that grand final was at Headingley. Uh, it was higher than the uh, Manchester Derby in football, the women's Manchester Derby. So, you know, look at how well women's football's marketed and how many, 
you know, it's on BBC all the time. I think, did they just get a, a TV deal with Sky as well? Uh, and big sponsors by Barclays as well. I think that was a seven-figure sponsorship, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, if you think how much coverage women's football's getting, and yet rugby league women got higher attendance than the Manchester Derby, which you don't get a bigger fixture in football than that, do you? So, I mean, hats off. And it just shows, uh, with a bit of sort of marketing and whatnot, what attendance you can actually get. And also, uh, we're going to be having two French teams in Super League, which I think is going to be a great added great bonus and I think Toulouse are going to actually add something to the competition they're probably going to be better than what Lee were well I think anyone coming up will be would have been better than Lee coming up and that's no against Lee because as I've said many times they've been dealt a very uh, tough hand which they didn't have to take but they still was so you know teams are prepared to come up now to, to lose have already got a fantastic squad you know big match winners in the team some are leaving I think Remy Casti's leaving they'll undoubtedly have to you know improve on that squad but I think uh, attracting players won't be an issue for them because you know going to the south of France is an exciting um prospect you saw the players Toronto attracted you know with her lifestyle that's more across the world as well so you know France is not that far away from the UK so it's it's an attractive prospect for players but I thought you know Feverston Feverston didn't really show up especially in the first half because they didn't really give themselves a chance, you know. It were to lose had penalty after penalty after penalty, and they just kept putting it over the sticks. So, you know, kept ranking up the points, and I think it was sixteen nil at half time. And to lose weren't really themselves either. They didn't they didn't show much of what they did against Batley. Uh, you know, really enterprising, unpredictable stuff. They were they were more traditional in that game. But, you know, they got the job done. Towards the end of the first half, I don't think uh, Featherston made the most of their chances because I think they had a few penalties and quite a bit of field position, but they never got points on the board. And for me, uh, especially in the first half, uh, Dane Chisholm's kicks, they just weren't up to it. But Toulouse did defend well. You know, they're known for the attacking, for being really attacking, but but I thought in that game, they showed, you know, something else, you know, that they can, that they can win games sort of more ugly, I would say. The, the game were very close at one point. I think there were one try in it. And you thought Featherston are turning on the taps. But there were there were one decision where I think Featherston were over and 
they got the try. However, it were ruled out because I think it was a knock-on. And it, you thought, how is he given that as a knock-on? How have they ruled that out? But then on the replays, it did look like a knock-on to me. The ball definitely, you know, moved twice as he were picking it up. So, for me, that was the right decision. And then after that, the game sort of went away from uh, Featherstone. Jusson, the the French player, he, I was surprised to see, I was surprised to see he's just 22 years old, so, you know, another young French talent coming through, so, you know, just think, having to lose in Super League and Catalan Dragons, you see, we're seeing already the players Catalan Dragons are bringing through, when we had to lose into that, you know, we, we've already highlighted Jusson, who were the player of the match for me, uh, just 22. Also, best moustache in rugby league as well. Um, think about the international game, because we can't rely on uh, Australia anymore for internationals. So it's a good job France are shaping up well, because we need to exploit the international game. Because we all know Rugby League is is by far the best product of all the sports, even football, really. But certainly better than Rugby Union, for God's sake. What a bore-fest that sport is. And, you know, you look at how many sort of neutral fans watch Rugby Union. I don't think many of them are aware of Rugby League or how it's played. So, you know... If you convert them eyes onto Rugby League, think of the possibilities. But yeah, we've had all the expansion v Heartlands debate, haven't we, uh, recently? With this game, Featherstone, obviously, a big Rugby League town. Although a very small populated town, to be honest. Which, given their population... To have so many fans and, you know, to produce players and whatnot, I think they go way, way above and beyond. And for what they are, really maximise the sort of resources, I would suggest. You know, for such a small team, I think they should be applauded rather than, you know, sort of, oh, forget Featherstone, who, who cares about them or whatever. But... To lose, are they even an expansion? Because obviously they've existed for, I think, since the late 30s. So I suppose expansion into our league, yeah. But they've always been there. They've always had a rugby tradition, perhaps more of a union tradition. But, you know, I'm, like Andrew Canavan said last week about um, small town teams doing well, you know, we... We as a sport are kind of embarrassed of it. And I kind of understand why they are. But I don't see why it has to be so binary where you say, well, we want the game to grow, so we want big teams, so big populated cities, so Toulouse, I think they're a city of a million people or whatever. So I can understand why they want Toulouse rather than Featherstone. I prefer uh, Toulouse rather than Featherstone as well. But I don't see why that means that you 
hate Featherston oh, and you want to forget them. They add nothing to the game or whatever because it's, that's rubbish. You know, they've been there for a long time and, you know, they've earned their place. They've earned the right. And so what if they only have this, however much population it is? They actually get more fans than, you know, other teams who have got far bigger populations. So those teams should probably be looking at themselves and say, well, why can't we get more fans in? But to be honest, uh, I don't think rugby league markets itself well enough in terms of the northern teams. And when we say expansion, we sort of mean everywhere but where we already are. But let's look at where the Heartlands is. It's in, well, it's obviously in Cumbria, it's obviously in West Yorkshire, uh, and a bit of Lancashire as well. Traditional Lancashire, and it, more Greater Manchester these days. You know, a bit in Merseyside as well. You could argue with that Merseyside or whatever. You know, all all that debate. But whilst it is a popular game in the north of England, you know, the north of England is a lot bigger than West Yorkshire. You know, if you go into Lancashire, um, we we're talking traditional Lancashire now, but th- there's there's barely any. You know, you look at Wigan, you've got Oldham, you've got Rochdale, Swinton, but you go to Bolton, Rugby League, it's not really spoken about. There's nothing near Blackpool, Preston, Blackburn, you know. There's big gaps that, you know, teams could could be built or, you know, formed or whatever. You know, we always look at expansion as you know, let's get more southern teams, and I understand that as well, but also, you you know, perhaps expanding into places where rugby league would be sort of more sellable, you know, given it's a northern sport or whatever, and sort of the, the working-class nature of it is more, kind of more sellable to northern towns, I suppose. And it would be more easier to sell there. So I think Rugby League could be doing more what they've already got. Why not already build on strong foundations sort of thing? That's all the expansion nonsense anyway. It sort of gets a bit tiring really. The the, the weirdest bit about, you know, the expansion we don't what really want is, um, well, I don't anyway, it's... Apparently, so-called Ottawa, who won't have any Canadian representatives, players, and will just be playing in West Yorkshire anyway. What's the point of that? What's what expansion's that? You know, if we don't want that type of thing, what is the point? What are they expanding? I don't understand it. Watching the game uh, on Sunday, I thought. We got Toronto back anyway. The amount of times Toulouse were referred to as Toronto for God knows what reason because apart from the first two letters being T-O, there's, there's no correlation there. So God knows why they kept saying Toronto. 
But yeah, um, good job for Toulouse. Well done to them. But are they going to stay in Super League next year? Because they might not just have to stay above 12th. They might have to, you know, be top eight or or finish ninth or whatever. Because, and actually, I don't think there's going to be, there can't be a promotion. For me, there can't be promotion from the championship next year. And I'm a firm believer in promotion and relegation. For me, that's the be-all and end-all. So for me to say that is probably surprising. But we're treating these two leagues as 10 as if, as if it's like iron cast, which it's not. But we've not got anything else to go off. So, you know, if two leagues of 10s happening, you if you're going to promote one team, you're going to relegate three. If you say the bottom team is probably not Super League standard, then... Okay, but then obviously there's other there's two more teams who are going to get relegated, which will probably be strongish Super League sides. You know they've done enough to stay up in normal seasons. They'll be finishing eleventh and tenth, and you'll be replacing uh, one of them with a team from the Championship who go into the Super League. Those teams that have gone down will probably be much stronger than the one that comes up so it's a bit bizarre and for a few years that those teams who got relegated you'll be having stronger teams in the second division than you have in the first division so it seems if you're gonna reduce the league i don't think you can promote but why why they can't just expand the, the the league rather than reduce it i don't know but I guess we never do know with Rugby League. <laughs> and congratulations to Workington because we're going to have three Cumbrian sides in the Championship next season. So I'm sure all the other clubs in the Championship are rubbing their hands at three different trips to uh, Cumbria this year. Obviously the Cumbrian sides will be saying, well, welcome to our world where we have to travel every other week or whatever. But, you know, Workington thoroughly deserved that. They were by far the better team. And obviously, across the season, they were they were the better team as well. So I think that's deserved on them. Unlucky on Doncaster because, you know, they beat North Wales Crusaders, who were unstoppable. They beat Keithley, who also went on a big run at the end. And they beat Hunslet as well. So they beat everybody but Workington. And Doncaster finished fifth. So, you know, from finishing fifth, just pretty much only just getting in the playoffs to actually getting right to the grand final, I think that's a an achievement. Where that leaves them, I'm not sure. Workington definitely have a job on their hands now because... God knows where you're going to have to finish in the championship now to actually stay in it, which will be Super League 2. They'd probably have to finish top eight, which is mental, to be honest. The more I look at this, the more I think that it can't happen. Because how the hell can you have pretty much half the league exit at, a se- at the end of the season? I'm sorry, but you can't have that. And... You know, if we were going to the 2 of 10, 
York would have gone, Dewsbury would have gone, Newcastle would have gone, Sheffield gone, Oldham gone, and Swinton gone. You can't have that. I think come next year, something else will come on the table because for me, it's not workable. And yeah, Workington busting a gut to get promoted this year, you know, recruiting well or whatever, to get into the championship and say, right, come on, finish eighth place. They ain't got a cat in hell's chance, have they? Although, you know, if they follow what Whitehaven did, they, they would have they would have stayed. They finished, well, they got in the playoffs, didn't they? But there's going to be some massive upheaval if if this proposal is going through. But as I say, I think surely if we're actually doing this, um, we're going to have to know very soon because you can't start a season if you don't know what you're playing for or what position you've got to finish in. And you could argue we should we need to know already because recruitment's already halfway done or whatever. So, you know, how can you recruit players? But... Obviously, in rugby league, everything gets left to the last second. So, who knows what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be pretty unfair when uh, about six teams are relegated from the championship. I just don't, I don't see how it's viable. Well, that's it for this week, and that's it for this season, and it's been a cracking season in terms of the podcast. Record number of listeners broke the record for listens to a single episode several times. Over a thousand listens across the season, you know, over 7,000 as well across social media. So, you know, thank you for listening. Thanks to every guest who's appeared on. Couldn't really do the show if you didn't agree to come on the sh- on the show. So, thanks to everyone who's come on the show we've heard some interesting tales we've spoken about grassroots rugby league we've spoken about academies we've discussed growing the game in france in russia in norway we've discussed what happens to rugby league beyond 2022 we've looked at barrow we've focused on french rugby league we've asked how to increase participation amongst young players we've looked at the work andy mays is doing at rochdale We've spoken about wheelchair rugby league. And we've also told players stories of their journey into the sport. We've discussed in detail the postponement of the World Cup. So everything covered on this podcast as well. And and some interesting stories being told each week. So thank you for listening. See you next season. (laughs) 